it's another week of political coverage over here at Trollmix 2016, and joining me to discuss the news on the campaign trail are Justin Green, political editor at the Independent Journal Review, and Aswin Subsang, social media editor at the Daily Beast. Nice to see your faces this morning, guys. Good to see you as well. Good, Good morning. morning. So I wanted to uh, to see how you're both feeling after Tuesday night's shocker. I drank a margarita um, at a Mexican restaurant while finding out that Ted Cruz was dropping out of the race. So there you go. I, I did I've... the exact same thing, but, you know, 15 minutes ago as opposed to 12 <laughs> hours ago. Like Justin. I think I was sitting on my couch just casually watching the speeches like we do every single primary. And all of a sudden, I'm getting tweets like crazy from people saying, holy shit, Ted Cruz is dropping. Well, I think everybody in my office, uh, at the Daily Beast DC office, um, just assumed Ted Cruz was going to be in this until the convention. So essentially what he did is he handed the keys to the GOP nomination to Donald Trump. Yep. Donald Trump is going to be the GOP nominee. Yes, provided he does not suffer a heart attack or falls into a coma uh, before the Cleveland convention in July. Yes. So as long as he has a pulse, essentially, is what you're saying, that this is this is the end. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. The, uh, Ryan Priebus, the head of the RNC, tweeted last night that Donald Trump is the presumptive nominee. It is over. It is done. And it, it's not just done, but it's also um, a lot of people, including myself, especially myself, have spent months throwing a very rosy view on things, suggesting that perhaps Donald Trump is not going to be the presumptive nominee. Uh, from start to finish, he was the Republican frontrunner and made a lot of us, including myself, look like morons. So I'm just going to come on. and I, I believe I promised to eat my hat. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to purchase a hat. You did. You did say that once. So yes. it, it's uh, it's an been an edible very... hat. Where do we find one of those? It's no, 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 can't be edible. That's no fun. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so it's good, a make good... make America great again hat, right? Obviously. Well, uh, R.I.P. me, I guess. So if you don't hear from me, it's because I'm dead. So to try to put into context what happened Tuesday night, um, and talk to us about Trump's presumptive nomination, the word that to borrow from Reince Priebus, the word that we're using here, we are going to bring in Robert Folsom to the show. He's the author of Why Trump? Why Now? That was published in the spring in the Social. And he's going to talk to us about how we got to this point and why Donald Trump was able to rise to get this presumptive nomination. Hi, Robert. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Miranda. How are you? Doing well. It's been a wild uh, 24 hours. Uh, thank you for coming on with us. I'd love to gauge your reaction to, you know, what we saw on Tuesday night. It, it was a it was a, a wild day. I, I thought something was up, so to speak, when... Ted Cruz did something that he hadn't done before, which was tell the world about what he really thought of Donald Trump. In retrospect, of course, it always does make sense that he knew he was going to withdraw from the race. So, Robert, one of the main topics of your report is is the rise and the fall of political correctness and how that fall has kind of allowed for the change of the political landscape that we've seen throughout this political campaign. Can you first explain to us what you mean by political correctness? Well, the, the brief definition that, that works for me is that it's a, a social code that disapproves of offensive language and conduct toward disadvantaged groups. And uh, Trump has made political incorrectness cool. He's, he's managed to, to plug into a, a sentiment that uh, has been growing for at least the last 10 years or so. When you now try to define what is politically correct, um, at least in today's modern political context, particularly when it's deployed by someone like Donald Trump, do you see it more now as a catch-all term for, like, stuff the right wing in America does not like? Uh, 
I, I think people, especially on the right, you're correct, have have um, embraced that understanding of it. I, I will say though that you do see instances of it among uh, Democrats as well. Uh, the a lot of the language that Bernie Sanders uses uh, when it comes to uh, condemning Wall Street and saying that they, their business model is fraud. Uh, that that's kind of uh, politically incorrect itself. Um, in in the ears of a lot of Republicans or or uh, people on the other side of the spectrum. So, Robert, one of the things that you wrote in your report is, is and I'm going to quote it here, the conventional narrative is that Trump succeeded despite his rejection of political correctness and that the truth is that he has in part succeeded because of it. Um, can you explain what that means? I mean, why is it that, you know, you don't think that there's a direct correlation. You don't think Trump is responsible for the rise of political, you know, the, the rejection of political correctness. You think he's just riding it, correct? I absolutely do. I think, again, he understood it better than anyone else that's on the political scene today. Those are the, 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 the lines that are the most politically incorrect at his rallies, for example, are, are, the, are the lines that get the biggest applause when, when he says insulting things about Mexicans or, you know, he has the, the two-minute hate toward uh, the media who are kept in their cage at, at his rallies. Oh, don't know I know it. I've been there. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that's uh, what he understands and exploits pretty explicitly. So what do you think, uh, how do you think that he tapped into this? I mean, Donald Trump, when you look at him, you think of him as this Manhattanite, this this guy who lives in a essentially golden, gilded tower in New York City, and yet he was able to figure out that this is a national sentiment and that he should tap into it. Do you think this was just kind of a, a hit and miss, that he just somehow, you know, said whatever he wanted and it really resonated? Or do you think that he somehow is this just brilliant brain that knew how to find how American people would react to him and, and do something that most other, you know, even Republicans didn't know was going to resonate. Well, I, I think he has understood that in a very, very tangible way uh, during the entire run he's had uh, as, a, as a TV personality. If you, just, if you just look at what is the catchphrase from that TV show, you're fired, right? You know, any any real boss, any real supervisor in a workplace, uh, that's the phrase that they are the most apprehensive to have to repeat. You know, if you've got a shred of empathy, you don't take pleasure in firing someone. And the guy revels in it. He he, he, he takes the anguish of that moment and, and, and made it a vehicle for popularity and succeeded at it. And uh, I think that kind of speaks for itself in his understanding of, uh, how, to, how to turn uh, a normal human sentiment on its head and uh, rise to fame with it. So one of the things that you end on is that, you know, the Republican Party is going to be continuing to kind of splinter um, as Donald Trump obviously is continuing to succeed. It looks like he's going to be the likely nominee after Tuesday night. But I want to know, you know, despite what's happening to the Republican Party, you know, do we think that this is a trend that's going to continue? I mean, a lot of people talk about how Donald Trump has no way of actually winning in the general. But based on, you know, what you're talking about, it looks like we don't have any indicators that the, the desire for political correctness is reestablishing itself. Does, so does that mean that Trump's power, his fan base, his voter base might just continue to grow as we go on with time? I, I think people ought to be they can't assume that Trump has peaked 
and, and I include myself in what I'm about to say, and I and I and I know you and your you and your colleagues there were talking a little bit about it before you brought me on. Uh, Trump has surprised everybody, and to the extent that he wasn't taken seriously in his political run, uh, that's what helped him get to the place where he is. And only only now, only now when. Uh, he, he really has has vanquished everybody else uh, in what was a pretty a pretty broad field of Republican candidates. Is it, is it going to sink in that uh, it, it's going to be him and it's going to be Hillary and he's he's the the Republican nominee? It's absolutely shocking. Great, Robert. Thank you so much. We're going to uh, let you go, Robert Folsom. I appreciate you coming on the show and uh, thank you for giving us all of your Trump linked insight. Miranda, it's a pleasure to speak with you. So we're going to move on to the topic of the week here, which is Ted Cruz being out, right? He's officially done. We're no longer going on to California. This isn't going on to the convention. Donald Trump is the supposed, proposed, whatever the word is, GOP nominee going forward. Um, But there was a snapshot that happened earlier this week that kind of was an indicator of the shocker that none of us saw coming, um, that Ted Cruz was nearing his end and maybe he already had kind of saw in his own mind's eye that he was going to suspend his campaign if he didn't win Indiana. And that started with a video that went viral earlier this week with a heckler that had an exchange with Ted Cruz in Indiana. Look, I appreciate your being out here speaking. If I were Donald Trump, I wouldn't have come over and talked to you. I wouldn't have shown you that respect. In fact, you know what I would have done? I would have told the folks over there, go over and punch those guys in the face. That's what Donald does to protesters. You'll find out tomorrow. Indiana don't want you. Well, sir, you are in- I have a theory that this video, which is functionally Ted Cruz calmly speaking to a man who is heckling him a few feet from his face, sort of encapsulates the entirety of the Cruz campaign. Uh, Ted Cruz, the guy who is, he's a talker, he's a speaker, he's polished, he's calm, he's inflappable. Like he's, he's built a brand for himself as like he's the guy who like stands up to the, to the mob and like tells them that like the truth is sort of his like. If you want to like put a, a brand on Ted Cruz, that is like who he's tried to present himself as. Uh, and then he ran into this campaign this year, and he found a whole bunch of new voters who were far from interested in like what he had to say, and were much more interested in being like, "I hate you," or "You suck," or "You're a liar," or like, "We don't we don't trust you at all," or "Your your wife works at Goldman Sachs," and in like one. And you're from Canada. Right. Well, you yeah. found out yeah. that way too many people in the country feel the same way that the people who work in Congress feel about him. He built a campaign that was functionally about, like, I'm the guy who everyone in Washington, which you all hate, uh, I'm the guy they hate. Uh, he found out that it, it didn't work out for him very well. So so, so what's so shocking, or not shocking, but what's so, what resonates the most with me is, you know, after seeing Ted Cruz on the campaign trail, seeing him at rallies, he never does not sound like a preacher. I mean, that is, he is just so um, calm and so clear-minded in the way that he talks to everyone. Even this heckler who's clearly looking for kind of the one-liners in here, like, Indiana don't want you. And at one point in this, he says something like, you know, Ted Cruz says, the American people aren't happy with this or they don't want this. And he goes, because you're from Canada. He kind of just, like, throws in these little, you know, jabs. And, and Ted Cruz is kind of unflappable, 
But oh, he was also, clearly being flapped it, in that. Well, <laughs> you know, trying as hard as he can to show like he's not. But I think that that's such proof of how this kind of whole campaign has gone. That he looks like he's trying so hard to kind of keep it together when even people outside his own rallies and kind of his last stand state are telling him go home. Right. Well, I mean, if you remember a few years ago when he first emerged in the national scene, like going to a Ted Cruz speech was very much like going to church because people were quiet. They were reverent. They sat there and listened. It was like a more traditional, older, uh, like more respectful uh, crowd that was you, you traditionally associate with like a conservative audience. And then came like a much bigger fish. Uh, and, a, and a much different audience and a much less receptive to the standard, like, hee-haw, like, Republican talking point, like, we're going to, like, restore America in favor of a crowd that was like, we want to burn it all down. So the question that everyone is going to start asking, and I'm sure we're going to see all over the cable news shows, if not already, is now how is Donald Trump's voice going to change? How is his rhetoric going to change now that we're moving towards the general? But the question... I want to ask you is the reverse. What's the future for Ted Cruz here, right? He ran a campaign purposely maligning the members of Congress that already hate him, and now he's going to go back to Congress. He's still one of the youngest people to, you know, one of the youngest people running for president during this election. And, you know, what's going to happen for him there? Are they going to stonewall him? I'm going to side with presumptive Republican nominee Donald Trump and repeat what Trump said about Ted Cruz on Tuesday night during his victory speech, that Ted Cruz has a bright future ahead of him. Uh, of course, he'll still be in the Senate doing his thing. People will still hate him. You know, big whoop. And in 2020, the guy will be back. Uh if you guys recall, um, a few months ago, I spoke with Stuart Stevens, who was the big um, guy on Romney's campaign in 2012. And one of the things that he laid out was the suspicion that Ted Cruz had been for some time operating under the assumption that he was going to lose to Donald Trump in this campaign. And that he was, in fact, building a campaign for 2020 when he could run as the I'm the true conservative, Republicans went wrong, come back to me and we can retake the race. So this is all under the assumption that Donald Trump fails. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, you know, if you look at I mean, there was a time in December and January of this year when Donald Trump was performing well versus Hillary Clinton. And for every other part of this campaign, which lasted over a year, uh, he's been dramatically behind her. And w one of the few lessons that I've learned that is truly useful in this cycle is that the polling, while at times not perfect, has largely been correct. That when people like there's been this sort of like, oh, Trump can't really be up by 15 percent like it something else like something's got to be there maybe they're not talking to the right people or maybe maybe people are afraid to say what they truly think but what we've found time and time again with the exception really of a few states and those on the democratic side have been that republicans have said for a long time that they support donald trump and they've meant it and they've gone out and voted for him but he became the republican nominee and so i think that there's some value in just paying attention to these general election polls particularly in those states that matter north carolina virginia florida ohio Oh, I need to get in better shape. Nevada. <clears throat> Nevada, Colorado. <laughs> uh, th these states where like the election will truly hinge. Also, the states that are rapidly becoming less white. He's probably not going to be the strongest general election candidate. But I also, it, as I, in the near-term future, need to eat a hat. Perhaps need to throw in some hedges on some bets. <laughs> Maybe we can put some shorts in there too, I mean, Justin. Like if Donald Trump doesn't win the actual election. <laughs> uh, no, thank you. I... Uh, <laughs> I think I'll have had I mean, enough for products. When Trump has time and time again, since he launched his campaign at the beginning of last summer, has defied every single expectation the people who are paid good money 
to have expectations and make these political predictions. Since he has defied every single one, um, do I think he's a weak general election candidate? Currently, yes. Do I also think it is possible, likely might be a strong word, but very possible that he is competitive against Hillary and could be competitive in a lot of states like Pennsylvania that really do matter to Democrats keeping the White House? Do I think that's possible? Very much so. So obviously, American pundits have not been such great predictors of how Donald Trump was going to turn out, uh, especially when it comes to his GOP nomination. We'll see how they predict his rise or fall in the general election. But there is one kind of unexpected group of people who have been making some political comments along the way and some political expectations of their own. And let me bring up something that might be the best entrance I can bring to this group. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. She was looking kind of dumb with her All right, so uh, if you guys remember this song, I think you're going to have to tune your your brains back to, for me, this would be elementary school, uh, when the song was the (laughs) the biggest thing out there. Was it really elementary school, not like middle school school. or lower school? Because I remember it being in the opening credits for Shrek. I forget when that came out. So the band, the band Smash Mouth, was was famous for All Star and uh, was it the cover of and, I'm a Believer? And which... The cover of I'm a Believer for Shrek, the animated film, and now they have started dabbling in politics. If you go on a Twitter and check out Smash Mouth's official Twitter account for the band, the official blue checkmarked verified Twitter account. Um, I think you'll be surprised that so much of their Twitter right now is just straight up political commentary. A lot of it communicated directly to to the Twitter accounts of just complete strangers and random people or actual political candidates. So this surprise would obviously come after you you realize that Smash Mouth is still around. That too, yes. And then you realize that, you know, besides the fact that they haven't had a major hit in a while, that now they you know, are using their mouthpiece to spew political advice or hate. <laughs> and you should, you should... No, no hate, really. It's pro-Hillary, generally anti-Republican sentiments. What I'd recommend doing, too, is going through the account and then reading them in your Shrek voice. <laughs> Not because With of... the blasting, of course. Oh, sure. No, if you, if you put on some Smash Mouth and then you read them in the voice of Shrek, or better yet, in the voice of Donkey, you will find yourself... Um, it's, it's delightful. I did it for a little bit last night and was... At first, weirded out and full of self-loathing, and then I, I started laughing. And so, uh, anyway, here are a few of the recent tweets from Smash Mouth in response to Hillary Clinton's March twelfth, twenty sixteen tweet: "We need to stand together against the forces of division and discrimination that are trying to divide America between us and them." Smash Mouth promptly responds: "You're the only legit candidate, point blank. Nothing else matters!" Exclamation point. And then as how many how many favorites and retweets do they get off that? Forty two f- favorites or likes, whatever we're calling them now, hearts, and uh, forty three retweets. And then subsequently, as other people start noticing, wait, why is Smash Mouth talking to Hillary Clinton? Um, they respond to a uh, random account, um, just a total stranger. Her um, handle is Hapcat. Uh, <laughs> Trump is a TV star, not a prez. 
The important thing a prez says is what he, she doesn't say. Um, later on, also responding to Hatcat, declaring, Def take Trump over Cruz. All right. So they, they seem to hate, dislike Cruz's politics more than Trump's. Having so last said night that, was a good night for them. <laughs> one thing I wonder a bit okay. about is the, sort of the, is like, if Ted Cruz has his own Chris Christie style thing here. You know, Chris Christie's famous for having a, a, a deep love for Bruce Springsteen, who's just totally rejected him, <laughs> and yet still is a huge fan. You, you do wonder if Ted Cruz is a huge fan of the stage, of cinema. Of, 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 of broad entertainment. He <laughs> loves to quote things. You wonder a little bit if it stings him personally as a guy who's very into the arts when artists just so resolutely hate him. I know he would sit there and say, that's an endorsement for me. But that, honestly, that's got to cut him deep. It's Be- right in the heart. Right in the the yeah. heart that is Ted Cruz. <laughs> so, so, of course, as good reporters, we had to reach out to Smash Mouth. And we reached out to one of their managers of sorts. When, the right? representative, yes. Right. And we tried to ask them, you know, where are these, these feelings coming from? Who is exactly tweeting this, right? Because, like, Smash Mouth isn't one cumulative person. It's, it has to be an individual. Right. Are they and all why doing are this? They, why are they, he, it, so political? Why, why is it like, not what? supporting Hillary Clinton? Why are they not playing accidentally in love on stage? Because that would just be so ironic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, what was the response we got, Swin? Uh, this guy named uh, Ron emails us back. The guys do not in all caps, want to talk politics beyond subtle social media posts. I would argue against the term subtle. subtle there. <laughs> it's not very subtle. It's very overt. I mean, Do you or, want to read one more of those tweets to like drive that oh, point home? Swing? Oh, we're getting there. Uh, <laughs> thanks for your interest. We appreciate it! Exclamation point. So uh, let's, let's revisit their Twitter account for a moment. Uh, last month, I tweeted, uh, so much of Smash Mouth's Twitter feed is just praising Hillary Clinton's temperament and shitting on Trump. Uh, They responded, actually, only one Trump tweet. That is not at all true. They've tweeted about Donald Trump multiple times, including, I guess Trump could rap a little. I'm (laughs) I'm not going to offer context for that because I don't care and it's better without it. Oh, my God. um, What? Tweeting directly at Hillary Clinton, don't bang this drum too loudly. It's got legs on its own. Don't give ammo for Trump to play the victim, you know? Wow. So they're mixing between giving music advice to Donald Trump and campaign advice to Hillary Clinton. Yes. While saying that they are only giving subtle hints on Twitter about their political preferences, don't want to talk about it. And have only mentioned Trump a couple times. Last summer, back in uh, late July, they tweeted directly at real Donald Trump. No Trump, all caps, as prez, exclamation point. Just make movies and more TV shows. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Four retweets, six faves. You know, you know, they sound a lot like pretty much any other Twitter troll out there. You know, if they weren't like, if they didn't have that verified mark, I would never guess that these, if they this were... is actually them. Well, I mean, I, I don't know what Smash Mouth, when they talk when they talk politics is supposed to sound like, but apparently it's this. I just think it's weird. It's it's weird. Like And you should go ask them about it. We, no 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 like so you, this is you, an open, you this dear is listener open should play. ask Smash Mouth. Mm-hmm. Tweet at Smash Mouth and ask them what's up. All right, well on that note guys, I'm going to go rewatch Shrek one and two and blast a little bit of uh All Star. Same. Peace. Cheers. Trailmix 2016 is a production of Scripps News out of our Washington, D.C. Bureau. The show is produced by Eric Krupke and Dave Shaw, with help from John Lass this week. 
You can find links to all of the extras we mentioned in the show on our Twitter account at TrailMix2016. And we also post all of our shows on SoundCloud and Facebook under the same name. We welcome feedback, so please leave us feedback at trailmix at scripts with two Ps.com. Thanks for listening.